Hi everyone, welcome back to Being Brazen and we are so excited to see you all again. Before we get into this month's topic, we want to say a huge thank you for all of your support with our launch of Being Brazen. Thank you everyone. Thanks very much everybody for your support. Now that that's over with, we're going to get into our delicious topic of food and what that means to us and our cultures. So we asked some of you guys some questions and feedback on social media but we also obviously have our own experience so we're going to delve into some of those topics the first question we're going to delve into is how is food regarded in your culture i guess it's a really big thing for us food because my mum is a chef and she's a thai chef so i've been brought up with my mum cooking thai food since i was really small and part of thai culture i suppose in most Asian cultures is like one of the biggest things that you can <laughs> it's like this is why we're talking about it today it it kind of is a part of our lives so everything we do revolves around food like if I come home from, from you know going out somewhere even if I've gone out you know my mum will ask have I eaten yet there's always food there's always something she's cooked or left for me with regards to kind of like culturally food is such a huge part of being Thai you know, when I go to Thailand, I get the same experience. It's food on every corner. I think Thai people are renowned for just, we eat regularly and often <laughs> in mm -hmm. Thailand and there's always something to eat. So it's constantly like, try this, try that. I guess it's such a huge part of me growing up and it having my mum being a chef as well has made, heightened it even more, I think. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I guess that for me, that's my experience of it. Like Amra said, food is very much embedded in Korean culture, very much so. It's traditional to have family meals together, before work, after work. Family and friends base their like camping trips around food, specifically Korean barbecue, and obviously socializing. There's an incredible takeaway service in Korea as well, where you could literally be sunbathing on the beach or on the Han River called um, Hangang. And you can have food literally delivered to your spot as long as you can identify where you are. And even companies where you work for socialization, you go for a massive meal to integrate and then obviously karaoke afterwards. That's standard. <laughs> There's like an endless number of restaurants in Korea, literally like every street, like you said, Amra, like there's so many restaurants. You could go to the mountain, the top of the peak of the mountain and people are eating like the Shin Ramyeon pot noodles so it's literally food is everywhere even mukbang i wanted to mention obviously that started in korea around 2010 and it's it's a blend of the two words for eating and broadcast so mongnun pangzong so mukbang obviously that's all around eating but there's a bit of like a weird culture with food in korea where on one hand everyone's a little bit obsessed with being or not being overweight shall we say and then on the other hand, just wanting to eat good food all the time. But I think it's very much to do with food linking to emotions and, you know, being a real stress reliever. And, you know, with these high pressure jobs, people just want to eat good food and like have their stress relieved. So 
that's kind of the food culture in Korea. In my culture, so the Filipino culture, uh, again, I was born here, so I can only kind of really speak as to um, Britain, but also obviously like you guys, there's going to be such an extension because uh, when you have um, immigrant families come here, you know, to take home with you, it's food, isn't it? It's when you walk through the door and um, certainly any friends or people that I've brought home, the, the first question is like, how are you? The second question is, have you had something to eat? Like you're saying, kind of like this um, welcoming vocabulary. It's a way of welcoming people and making them feel at home. Every family function is surrounded by food. And one of the feedbacks that we got was it's kind of, it's a communal thing. So it's not just the delivering of food, but it's the making of food. It's the community of it. And certainly in of Filipino culture, it's similar thing. Street food is such a big thing. You can go on any corner and find various different foods. Going back to what you were saying, Deborah, about mukbangs, I think mm -hmm. that YouTube and mukbangers and food bloggers have kind of made this global community wider. And I mm -hmm. think kind of our cultures have really boomed because people are more accessible and know what lumpia is or what mm -hmm. bimbap is, and um, where they might have not when we were all growing up. So. Mm -hmm. Yes, food is True. definitely something that kind of brings everybody in and yeah, is a, is a good way of um, building a community. Right. So we want to talk about food and family. What is our experience of that? Something that always makes me laugh is whenever people say your mum's a chef and everything else, I always say that my mum is a feeder, which is what I've put you know, as one of my comments, she's always saying to me, have you eaten yet? If I'm upset, if I'm happy, it's always, have you eaten yet? So. It has always been hard to go on a diet when you're from an Asian family <laughs> because you're constantly being asked, even if your cheeks have gone all puffy because you've eaten so much and your belly's just so big because you've eaten so much, you know, your parents, especially your mum, it's always going, oh, have you eaten? So I always find that ever since I was little growing up, food and family have always been really closely linked together. Um, it's always been a part of my life growing up and it's almost a bit like an emotion, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. I always feel like it, it's another part of who I am almost because I always feel with food and family, like I, I, I feel when I come home to my mum's cooking, that's family for me. Mm -hmm. And that's what it means. That connection between food and family is, is being sort of around your family, eating with your family and having that sort of, connection through food I think is is kind of something that just I've grown up with and I'm sure a lot of Asian families have grown up with and it's just something that you feel like a, a second person or someone that's you know it's just somebody that's always there so yeah. From my perspective uh, just to give a little bit of background I would say my mum was what I would call dare I say the typical Asian parent who perhaps struggled to show affection and love. It wasn't normal to, you know, hear I love yous growing up. It wasn't normal for my mom to, you know, cuddle me growing up. But obviously she liked to show me love in other ways. And that was food. And in a way, her filling my belly was her way of saying, I love you because I want to set you up well for the day and make sure that you've got enough energy to face the world and do whatever you need to do to achieve your best, basically. My mum was a single mum when I was growing up. And, you know, it was hard for her because she worked long hours. So when she came home, she could just, she cooked what she could cook. And it was like, I wasn't really given a choice. It's like, you eat what you're given. 
So if I didn't want it, it was like, fine, don't eat it then. But then she would always have it wrapped up and left on the dinner table ready for me to eat once I'd stopped sulking, basically. And once my belly was grumbling, you know, hard enough. But like I said earlier, food is obviously emotive. And there's some memories in my life where food and certain events in my life are kind of linked together. And again, without going into too much detail for this episode, my mum was a single mom, like I said, after my dad left her. And, you know, in the in the beginning, we struggled a lot. She was pretty much, we were in a homeless sort of situation. And one time she gathered just enough money to buy like a small takeaway pizza. And because I was a child, very, very young, I was very hungry and she gave it to me. And I didn't know, obviously, that she wasn't eating, like the concept wasn't there. I, like the realization wasn't there. And so I ended up eating it all and she went hungry herself. But Again, that's just another example of her sacrifice as a mother. And again, food was her form of showing me love. With like my first serious boyfriend when we broke up, I remember I told her on the phone and even after a long day of working, she came home with food shopping, with all my favorite snacks and fruits, because I love fruits. And again, even without going into too much words or affection, it was her way of saying, I'm here for you. So food is obviously very much an emotive thing. And like you said, Amra, it's like even when I used to work long hours at work, she would call me at the end of the working day and say, oh, what time are you going to be home? Just so that I know when to have dinner ready for you. So it's always that like, you know, every morning, even if I didn't want it pestering me, Deborah, you have to have food. It's going to give you energy, fuel for the day. And even now where she's in Korea, every day when we have a phone conversation, she's the first question she asks me is, have you eaten yet? And it's not the superficial have you had food? It's much deeper than that. And I think that's a sentiment that only like fellow Asians will understand, I think. And it's something that I've realized the link between food and love as I've, as myself, as I've grown older and wiser. So that's my food and family. (laughs) And there's so many things from both of you that kind of like echo and just really resonate and yeah, I guess kind of like how we have this channel because there are so many you know commonalities some background for me my parents both worked full-time when I was little I have a, um, at the time a little brother and I've got some other little brothers who came a lot later um, but when I was um, younger growing up in Camden my mum actually used to work shift work and my mum and dad would tag team all the time so in terms of food being an extension of love and how you communicate yeah absolutely 100% and I feel kind of I have this strong memories of both my parents kind of one of them was always in the kitchen when you're little you don't understand that like that's their way of providing for you taking the time to make sure you've got something yummy in your belly and again because I grew up in a way that's most you know immigrant families have to they have to work all the hours that they can to provide for their family and that then is reflected in the food that they buy and they provide for their family so I have yeah very strong visions of either of my parents at the stove making something and that being like kind of a warm feeling as I kind of got older like you're saying it's 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 that time when the family all comes together and growing up kind of in the western world where you're you go to school you meet friends whatever it's that time when you kind of come back to the family setting, you sit down with your siblings, you say how your day was, how your day wasn't going. I mean, maybe, maybe in some ways emotionally when, you know, parents can't maybe say I love you all the time or find the right words that maybe your friends would have said. You can hear that, you know, the rice cooker click and, you know, mm-hmm. oh, it's, nearly, it's nearly dinner time. And yeah, 
their food is very kind of intrinsically linked to family and um, by extension of that family get-togethers are always a big thing I think I've talked about it in my get to know me and if you haven't seen our get to know me's you should go and check out our playlist check it out um, but yeah i talk about a dish called lumpia which is like a small meat filled dish and they just kind of that along with many other things filipino barbecue garlic rice uh pansa, which is a new dish they all get rolled out and it's just like a banquet of love and you know that you're going to get a good hearty meal like you said that kind of feeling of fulfillment maybe sometimes too fulfilled <laughs> and you're like mom no it's okay I don't need any more so it's always funny going to Filipino celebrations because depending on who you see which auntie which uncle you know they're like did you eat have you eaten even when you've got yes, like a plate full of things <laughs> you're like yeah no I'm eating definitely <laughs> I'll be around for round two in a bit yeah family and food are very very good so we recently went on social media and we wanted to make sure that you guys were part of the dialogue. So we asked you some questions. How did you feel growing up eating one type of food at home and another in your Western life? Growing up, as you can imagine, my mum would sometimes prepare my packed lunches for me. Most of the time it would be leftovers or some kind of noodle dish or a rice dish that my mum would want to put into a flask for me and um, take into school. It was quite interesting because some of the answers that we received were around those lines, taking in hot veggies, sometimes a hot flask, soup, rice veggies in a thermos that got smelly by lunch. So that <laughs> is pretty much my life growing up when I was at school, going to school in a Western school. I used to get a lot of people kind of look over, ask me what was in my thermos. And I found it quite embarrassing sometimes because it was um, quite hard to describe it to people. I would find it delicious and I would eat it and it'd be really tasty. But to another person looking at it, it's unusual because back then it would be school dinner, your usual like shepherd's pie, you know, whatever that you'd have at school dinners. And then pack lunches for people would be like a sandwich or packet of crisps, uh, apple, that sort of thing. So I found it quite hard to explain to people what was in my flask. And it, I always felt a little bit different when I took that into to school with me. I knew that my mum meant well by, by trying to, you know, um, cook me something that that I would eat but sometimes I did find it quite embarrassing and now I don't I would never find it embarrassing but when you're at school mm -hmm. it's such a different you know you're young and you want to be like everybody else and so I did find that I sort of stuck out a bit so mm -hmm. yeah that was that was my experience of it. So another uh, response that we got was always Toshirak Korean style lunches uh, so toshirak is basically like a, a lunch meal where you have a bit of rice and the panchan, which is the side dishes. So this person said they felt embarrassed and wanted what their friends had. And the reason I, I selected this answer is because obviously I can relate to it. Now I'm very loud and proud about Korean food. But growing up, I was mortified if my mum tried to give me Korean food for lunch. And I think part of her it's probably the same as your mum Amra she felt like western food was sometimes like not the healthiest and she wanted to give me something a bit more filling or something a little bit more nutritious but then my main concern was a standing out uh, and b for this the smell as well just <laughs> having something that was unusual or unfamiliar or weird to the other kids and that thought always sort of like gave me so much fear and so I'd beg my mum to always just give me ham sandwiches crisps and fruit and, and a, a carton of juice I was like please don't ever deviate away from that I'm happy <laughs> to have that 365 days a year I don't care and I think it always like stemmed back to the not wanting to stand out 
I think even now it's kind of followed me into my adult years, but I've always been a shy person. Um, but as a child, it was 10 times worse and never wanting to be the center of attention. I never wanted to draw attention to myself in any way, shape or form. I was quite happy to just like blend into the wall and camouflage. But, you know, it's one thing for me to stand out for my how I look and my features. And then I didn't want my lunch to be another reason that I stood out and for the wrong reasons. And even, you know, kids, they're very direct. And it was just a simple like turning their nose up and the tone. What is that? And that alone, it was just no, never again traumatized for life, you know. Yeah. So um, the odd occasion a Korean meal did slip in, but not on my watch. I was like, please, mom, please, <laughs> like begging her, please, no, <laughs> ham sandwiches would be fine. So yeah. So my experience actually was that I was a school dinner kid. So I, when I went to school, I had the you know the shepherd's pies, the steamed puddings, the custard, all of that kind of stuff. So I didn't feel alienated in that way at that time in that situation however when we went for like say school trips and then you had to have a packed lunch that's that's when I mm. can empathize and I can relate mum packing like in some type of Tupperware not even a proper Tupperware like an ice cream <laughs> box or something recycling even then <laughs> it, it tended to always be fried chicken with my mum uh, which, as you know, fried chicken does not travel very well. Yeah, and then you feel that feeling of, of sticking out. And I think, mm. you know, children can be so direct, as you said, very mm. um, diplomatically, Deborah. <laughs> but they can be so mean. Mm. And then you feel that self-consciousness about yeah. a judgment, not only on you because you are different in a way but then it's mm. like almost like a implicit attack on your culture mm. and when you're little you know everything seems so black and white oh they don't like the smell of that so they don't like me they don't mm. like who I am and, you know that, that stays with you I think if you have that situation kind of now when we have kind of like office parties or stuff and my calling card is lumpia which I keep on banging on about <laughs> um and you know there, there's the smell with that but it's not in the same way it's like oh my god what's that smell as opposed to oh you know Mm. those formative years where anything that makes you stand out can make you vulnerable and when it's so intrinsically linked to your culture and looking back now you know you you, you want to look back at your little self and say it's okay everyone's mm. going to love this food later they're all going to want to come around your house for barbecue but when you're at school and you feel alienated it's a, it's a different matter so I can completely relate with all of that. Um, and I should have gone to the response from our poll. One thing that stood out to me when they said that they brought food from um, their culture uh, was lumpia and pancit canton. So I've already gone enough about lumpia because I love it so much. Um, but pancit canton um, is a bit like those kind of ramen packs. So you've got the dried noodles, which you add the water to, and then they've got the um, seasoning and um, oil and uh, soy sauce. So instead of making kind of a ramen-based soup, uh, you make a paste, you drain the water away and then you mix it up so it's a dried noodle and it's so good. Um, so yeah, when I saw that, I was like, yes, Filipino solidarity. I wish my mum had put that in my back pocket. <laughs> and it's been lovely to see so many responses and Definitely. so many shared experiences. Absolutely. Definitely. So we have a fun one for you. What type of food from your country do you think either Westerners or you don't understand? <laughs> this one's an easy one for me <laughs> <laughs> because Thailand is known for the king of fruit, which is called the Turian. The durian, some people call it, we call it Turian, is a spiky fruit, really, really big. And it smells from like a thousand miles away. <laughs> it's, um, 
it's very very pungent you either like it or you hate it It, Mm -hmm. it's that type of fruit and what I guess westerners don't like is the odor initially because the odor puts a lot of people off but there are like a wealth of Thai people and there are some westerners that genuinely do like Turian and I think you have to get past the smell (laughs) here's a little tip but Turian if it smells too much it's actually actually too ripe so if it's if it's the right sort of it shouldn't be that smelly if that makes sense Mm. it's and then it'll be perfect and it's like always the Thai person's quest to find the perfect Turian (laughs) because it's like when I go with my mum when we buy it here in the UK it's like 10 times the price but when Mm. I go back to Thailand and it's Turian season I am (laughs) like mum get me there (laughs) <laughs> we're in the we're in the van we're in the car we go there and then we basically they open it up for you and and you you can just see the texture is just perfect and I totally understand why some people don't get it and you know I think it's just something that a bit like Marmite really you either mm-hmm. like it or you don't I genuinely really like and I know Deborah's not too keen on it <laughs> well I only tried it one time in China but yeah 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 I mean it was yeah. the smell's fine because Let's yeah. be honest, there's, there's food in Korean cuisine that doesn't smell that pleasant either. Yeah, sure. But um, <laughs> the taste, like I said, it was just, yeah. for me, maybe it was that particular... Maybe it was too right. Maybe it was too right. Possibly. Yeah, or maybe it yeah. just wasn't a good quality yeah. durian, but durian, it yeah. just tasted very... The only way I can describe <laughs> it is like first hit was onion, then right. it was like slightly gone off onion and then oh, ending God. with a hint of nail polish so okay. it was very probably, strange experience probably not the best yeah the best the best experience and I think that's the thing as well is if people try it like Deborah did or in anyone westerner yeah. who goes to Thailand tries it and they don't get that great experience initially then I think you're put off for life yeah so mm. it's it's kind of like if you have a nice experience then you might like yeah, it so that true. that's Amram, as somebody who is completely untouched by the fruit, how, how would you describe it? Or how do you think it should taste? Hopefully not like onion. Um, hmm. <laughs> it's actually quite sweet. It's got this sort of, it has a texture like avocado. It's mm-hmm. quite hard to explain it. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of avocado because, do you know when avocado is not too ripe mm-hmm. and not too, and you get that perfect avocado, that's how a mm. Turian should feel in your hand. Okay. And it, it's, I can't describe it, but it's very Moorish for me. Like I, when I get it right and it's perfect, it's it's like, and it's really bad for you as well because it increases your blood pressure. There's a lot of negative oh, things because right. it's very, very like sweet. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very sweet. And um, it's not good for diabetic people either. So yeah, I've um, heard it's quite creamy. It's like, like creamy. It, yeah. yeah. Um, my mum once told me a funny story because she, she loves Turian as well. And she said one time she ate so much Turian, she was lying on her back and like, it was like the room was spinning because she'd eaten so much durian and it's so it's like it can make you go a little bit woozy if you eat too much of it yeah yeah so there you go I'm trying it for the record I don't like for the record I don't like marmite either so oh okay there you go (laughs) so with Korea obviously there's probably a, quite a few dishes that westerners don't understand um, but the one I selected was nakji which is a small octopus and I guess it's infamous in the western world because of the scene in the movie old boy but it's not alive when you eat it 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 just looks like it's alive because the nerve is still active in the tentacles and then therefore the suction cups are still active 
And so what they do is it's very, very small, but they, they cut it up very like in tiny, tiny pieces because choking is a real hazard, no joke. Um, and, uh, you just have to make sure that because the suction, Amara's face, the suction cups can get stuck to like the roof of your mouth, your tongue, your throat, which is obviously the most dangerous one. And so choking has been known to happen where drunk men, they're eating it as sort of like a accompanying dish to alcohol and they're drunk and they're not really like they're being quite careless and there's like gobble 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 and it's you know but I have tried it and initially I personally can understand why western people would be freaked out by it because uh, I had the same reaction when I first saw it you know you see something moving on your plate that should be dead and you're like hell no but I gave it a try I tried to be open-minded and if you like seafood and you like sort of raw fresh seafood it's, it's just like that there's no real fishy flavor to it or anything like that and I was just making sure that I was chomping down on it really hard so that it wouldn't choke me to death but it's really fresh but if you don't like seafood it is obviously there's a slimy element to it that could be something that puts westerners off but if you're in Korea I would say try it with some soju and you're good to go nice nice maybe one day I'll, wait one day. I'll give it a go <laughs> Not maybe one day. Listen, if you can eat durian, you can eat yeah. you can eat baby, baby octopus. Okay. <laughs> All right. A food from Filipino culture, which I'm not sure that Westerners would understand. And certainly something when I grew up, I was very confused about was something called balut, which is a salty boiled egg, but it has an embryo within it. And when you say that, you're like, oh my goodness. And it's a very visible embryo. We're talking baby feathers that you can see and it's something when I was little that my mum loved um, it was one of those things when we came back from the Philippines which she would always either have out there she would you know parcel tape lots of food <laughs> bringing back stuff and have it at home my memory of it obviously kind of the smell the look of it it's something that I felt a bit alien to but obviously it's something that was in the Filipino culture especially in this time of veganism and people don't want to have eggs mm. as they are embryo cooked within a boiled egg yeah is is a food that is of interest and a, a topic and something mm. i certainly don't understand but would be very intrigued to hear if any of our subscribers or our followers have eaten and what you think about it that's something from the filipino culture that i'm sure has a lot of intrigue around it so we're rounding up on this episode and we are going to let you know what's in our next episode it is a topical one and we are going to be talking about racism and specifically racism in face of the pandemic. It's serious, it's real, mm -hmm. and we want you to be part of the dialogue. So please do comment with any of your experience, anything that you would like us to explore, and please make sure to be able to contact us on all our social medias. We have our socials down there, racism. It's something that's kind of permeated all our conversations since we began. It's something that we've all experienced and we want to hear from you. So, so thank you for joining us with this episode and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thank you for watching. Thank you for watching. Thank you for watching. Bye.